I know I had a joke on one of the letters. Let me find it. I can't remember. I cannot remember. If you remember the joke, record a pickup and get John to drop it in and uh, we'll fake some laughter. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very 64th episode of Octothorpe, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom, which is coming to you on the 18th of August 2022. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we're like eight squared, Octothorpe. Oh yeah, we are. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? Etc. We're going to get banned from like uh, Apple Podcasts if you sing that. Not not if I sing it, it's fine. <laughs> Nobody will notice. First up, we'd like to apologise to Ange and Caroline, whose emails to us got caught in a spam trap. And as a result, we have changed our email address to comment at octothorpecast.uk. We are hoping that this will resolve any future issues. So if you're emailing us, please note the change in email address. We will carry on checking the old one for a little bit, including the spam trap, but do send stuff to the new address. Yes. So Ange wrote in about episode 62 uh, to say that... She had read one of the Hugo nominees, which is A Master of Gin, which is unusual because she doesn't usually have a Worldcon membership. And when she does, she doesn't usually download much of the voter packet. I mean, and agrees with me uh, about Shard's Verse being great. So, and thank you for writing in. You're my favourite now. She also says that she thinks she is an optimistic nihilist based on my explanation of my views. And that is entirely sensible, I think. Caroline also emailed us about Octothorpe 62 because she is also reading all of the Hugo shortlisted novels this year and she says that she is also stranded with the last one part read which in her case was The Master of Gin and she was stranded a third through because she wasn't really enjoying it and she says that it and She Who Became the Sun were the two that she had to finish for duty rather than for love which is pleasing because that feels like it's like a, a, a theme in both those books you know duty versus personal <laughs> life so that's good that that is good juxtaposition caroline thank you very much yeah and thank you also to caroline i think she picked up on on a few things that we didn't mention and in in my case it was probably because i hadn't thought about them but there were a few things i realized you know there were whole swathes of stuff about the novels that we didn't mention so maybe next time it has to be not only like a bumper episode but maybe a bumper bumper episode to fit all the hugo novels in there really was a lot to discuss yes octothorpe special extended edition Indeed, indeed. Mark Plummer writes, I've just learned that Galactic Journey is blocked on my office IT network with the stated reason being marijuana. And if you have ever been to 1967, you'd know why. That's my joke. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Excellent. And, and Mark also says that he's very grateful to John for telling him about Knights of the Old Republic. And he's expecting it to, in the weeks of to come, fill up as much of his time as playing Arkham Horror does. Excellent. And he thought that it was great that the creator of the Great Potato War is a YouTuber. Oh, oh. that is great, Mark. Thank you very much. And it also gives us our episode title. So that's nice. <laughs> he also says that he was thinking of me earlier when he was looking through Kev Smith's 
TAF report, which has just come out and is uh, a report of the TAF trip in 1982. And uh, there's a passage that says, along with the badges, there were ribbons. My yellow ribbon said program on it and meant I was taking part in programmed events. It is entirely possible to have more than one ribbon. And uh, obviously, I have never had more than one ribbon at a convention. I am very ribbon minimalist. And anyone who is at Worldcon will be able to see the extent (laughs) to which that is a lie. I I think I drew you as a ribbon collector once. For my TAF report. Yeah. On your TAF report. Also now available. There'll be a link in the show notes. And I think I did put all of my ribbons in my TAF report, but I might be misremembering. But I think you can see it if you buy it. Well done to Kevin Smith for getting his TAF report out after only 40 years. Is this a record? Bill Higgins wrote to us and said, well, this is going to be much shorter than it usually is when he heard me open the podcasts with the words, hello, everyone, and welcome to the 62nd episode of Octothorpe. So thank you very much, Bill. Mark, you are you don't get the prize for most tortured joke in this episode, which is weird uh, but you're up against very stiff competition Um, but thank you very much to bill for writing in i believe i'm on a panel with bill at worldcon which we will discuss later in the episode foreshadowing and stuff foreshadowing and stuff oh we should talk about our schedules yes we shall and we got a letter from chris chris garcia yay we also had a letter from chris garcia chris garcia Please write in and tell us how you got the omelette chef to do you a no-egg omelette, or was it just kind of a plate of emptiness? Or in fact, don't write in, just tell me in a couple of weeks' time. Yep, indeed. Yeah, if you're going to see us at Shycon, you don't need to write, you can just tell us things, but if you want them to appear on the podcast, write. That's comment at octazorpcast.uk. We also got a tweet from Raj and Raj said thank you for pointing them to the Hugo Girl podcast. Uh, You're very welcome, Raj. And on the subject of Hugo Girl, we had a big old discussion on Twitter about hotel eggs. And, you know, go and read that if you like eggs. We have submitted our Hugo ballots and we're going to talk a little bit about what we put where. Shall I talk about the Briarly voting competence threshold? which is the notion that you should only vote in a category if you have actually absorbed all of the things in that category well enough to have appropriate opinions on where they should be ranked. Um, and I'm I'm not sure I normally do this in very many categories, and I think that's also true this year. So I did vote in all the categories in which I was competent to vote under that standard, which was novel and all the fan categories. I think that was it. And I also voted in a load of other categories just because. So if you ever wonder whether people vote from positions of ignorance in the Hugos, it's right they do. I'm sorry. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. But I voted for short story for reasons that I will explain later, despite the fact that I hadn't read them all. And I voted for novel for novella for because I had only read some of them, but I've really enjoyed the ones I read and I thought they were very worthy of winning a Hugo. So how do you guys stand on the Briarly voting competence threshold? Voted in best novel, best novella, best novelette, best short story, best series, best dramatic presentation, long form, best dramatic presentation, short form, best editor, short form, best professional artist, best semi-prosine, best fanzine, best fan cast, best fan writer, best fan artist, lodestar and astounding. I voted in exactly the same categories as John, it turns out. So my little rant here is because of the current 
20% threshold, I feel I need to vote in every category where I feel qualified to cast a vote at all. That is more than I can possibly read. The Hugo Ballot at the moment contains more than I can possibly read between the date that the finalists come out and the date when voting closes because it's six novels, it's six books in the Lodestar Awards, it's six novelettes, it's six pieces of short fiction or more for the Astounding Award. And in this case, at least three of them were nominated based on books. And then we haven't even got into best series, which is, and it happens that I have read like part of a couple of series, but that's about it. And then I haven't gotten, you know, I haven't spent the 12 or 15 hours or whatever it is I would need to watch everything in best dramatic presentation long form. Too much stuff. Yeah, so the three categories I voted in, in which I did not have a view of everything, were dramatic presentation short form, best editor short form, and best semi-prosine. And that's because I can't possibly read. I voted in semi-prosine and best editor short form. And I think, although best series, I didn't, I also didn't read all the series. Um, but I actually find that editor short form and best pro art, uh, and best semi-prosine are the two that are most difficult to get a wide view of because it does involve a lot of reading and because I read series because they are one of the bits of science fiction I actually engage with uh, I'm usually got quite the head start on that category whereas like I read one semi-prosine every year which one uncanny I noticed when I was reading short fiction that the uncanny selection of fiction had a load of fantastic things in and also that uncanny had a lot of things that when I was doing my short fiction reading I really quite liked so yeah no I might be joining you in subscribing to uncanny because it's full of things I liked yeah I mean uncanny there is a reason it keeps winning best semi-prosine and that is generally because it is very good and I I subscribe to it I used to subscribe to Clark's World and I eventually unsubscribed because I find Clark's World's editorial voice quite if you read it for a couple of years you start seeing there's very much a formula to what goes into a Clark's World story that I started to get quite irritated with um, whereas I find Uncanny a little bit more varied although I think if you read any magazine for long enough you start to see the the kind of the recurring themes and sometimes it can get a little bit frustrating I also I used to listen to Escape Pod and I I voted for Escape Pod because I very much want Escape Pod uh, to win I think it would be good to recognize the work they do and that is also why i voted for lafferty and divya for editor short form but shall we go through our ballots i'm happy to pull some highlights out of my ballot we can do some highlights i think but i figure we can say what we vote we put top in like each of the categories we voted in yeah the short or at least the short let's try the short fiction ones and see how far we get without running out of time all right so what did we all put top in novella i put the past is read by Catherine valenti Oh, I put that second. I put a psalm for the wild built as first. I put the elder race first and a psalm for the wild built second. And I confess I haven't read the Cat Valenti, so I'm feeling very guilty now. I will read it, though. I will say that to my great surprise, having not really enjoyed either of the Becky Chambers novels I've read, I put a psalm for the wild built third as well with elder race and second. It sounds like our maybe top three are quite settled there. But I, I did find a Sound for the Wild Built, maybe just because it was a shorter length, worked much, much better for me than uh, The Galaxy in the Ground Within did. When I think having read Chambers' novella that was nominated last year, year before, I thought it was very different to her novels. I mean, I, I enjoy both, but like, it, it doesn't surprise me that, 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 that you might have quite a different opinion on them because I do think she is doing quite different things in the two. 
I, I think the one from Tuvia Year is actually more different from her novels than Psalm for the Wild Bill is. But I, I did enjoy both uh, uh, quite a lot. And I did enjoy, I put Elder Race third. I thought it was very good. I know we're not doing a, a long talk about the things, but I thought the fact that A Song for the Wild Built and The Elder Race both have this theme of the separation of different cultures and people getting together unexpectedly with a culture that, culture that had been long separated was really interesting. And they had quite a lot of points of commonality. I enjoyed them both very much indeed. I was really pleased to have read them. You have inadvertently noticed a theme in the past is read as well mm. uh interestingly <laughs> in i think it's interesting because um they're all about that right in a way maybe not a spindle splintered as as such but certainly they're all stories of culture clashes like fireheart tiger is and across the green grass fields definitely is i mean i i did i will say again i enjoyed everything in this category quite a lot i think there's a little bit of a gap between the top three and the bottom three but i did enjoy all of the bottom three i would agree i mean i would say the thing in the top three is it's kind of a culture clash maybe between civilizations at different levels of progression and industrialization which is maybe not present in uh the lower ones that was quite interesting yeah so maybe the Maguire, but but i like that valenti kind of ties that one back you know i thought it was a good novel tackling climate change in a way the other two are not looking at so yeah definitely and actually reminded me of one of the themes from horizon forbidden west Mm -hmm. novelette what did we put in novelette i put the bots of the lost ark by suzanne palmer i guess i had a really hard time deciding between them but i ended up with that story isn't the story by john wiswell at the top from uncanny so Mm -hmm. alison did you vote in novelette I am. I didn't vote, but I've since read several of these stories. I really liked Unseely Brothers, but I thought it was a little. I thought it was a tiny bit slight, but I really, really enjoyed it. So you know, I like so many things about it. That's interesting. Um, and I did like that story. Isn't the story? I thought that was very clever. Um, but it was kind of. I was sitting in a field in the glorious sunshine, listening to fantastic music, and and it wasn't the story I wanted to be reading right then. So that's not the fault of the story. It's a fault of me. I put that story isn't the story was a strong third. Very much enjoyed that. I, when I read it in Uncanny, gave Unseely Brothers three out of five and it languishes in fourth on my ballot. Again, I thought it was, I thought there was quite a gap between my top three and my bottom three. And I, I thought this is probably the weakest category on the ballot. Don't know if that's fair. Short story. Short story. I think we might be unanimous here. Oh, do you reckon? What did you put first, Liz? Where Oaken Hearts Together. Alison, what did you put first? I have to say, I loved one of the stories in this category so inordinately that I've put it as my pick this week. <laughs> Which I know is why I was saying that. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's not surprising because that story was catnip for Alison's. I mean, if somebody had sat down to write a story that Alison would love, they could not have done better. It was fantastic. So and that is where Oaken, where Oaken Hearts do gather. I put it in second. thought it was a strong second. What did you put first? Mr. Death, because I cried like a baby at the end. Just, ah, uh, the story had everything for me. Oh, I put that second. I have not read that story yet, so. Like, it just hit me straight in the feels, listeners. Just like, this is my feels, that's the story. Boom. But both very good. 
I put it in second on the grounds that I cried but did not feel like emotionally manipulated into it. And I think that is a very, very hard line to walk. It's such a beautiful ending and it feels it feels simultaneously so earned, but I didn't see it coming. And it, I think that's a really... Sorry, Alison. Alison hasn't read it and is uh, uh, very enthusiastically... We're not, we're not going to spoil it. We're just saying we cried. I'll read it between now and when I get the transcript to do. I did also like... Um, I liked very much all of these stories... Uh, I think Tangles was my least favourite, but I feel like if it hadn't been a story written for Magic the Gathering, it would have been better. It's told very straightforwardly, which I assume is at least part because that tends to be what franchise short stories call for. I I really I started really really liking Tangles, and then um, and then I felt it kind of wound up in a way that was a little bit unsatisfying but having now noticed that it's a magic story which I had not noticed it's like oh no that makes perfect sense now I do yeah but I mean and and very very good I I, again very strong category I thought best series uh best series oh I haven't read anything in this one that was the problem rather read a tiny bit I've only read three in this uh category the World of the White Rat, I read uh, one of them and it was fantastic. Uh, and I will read the rest enthusiastically, but I did not have time in the deadline. I have been reading the Wayward Children series as we've been going through the Hugos over the last few years because they keep getting nominated. Uh, and then Terra Ignota by Ada Palmer. Now, To Like the Lightning was a finalist a while back. And I confess, sorry, Neil, I did not really like it. Uh, and so I, I put, uh, so that affected my rating, but I did not get to any of the series I had not, I had not read any of already, if that makes sense, except for the Kingfisher, uh, slash Vernon title, uh, which I put first. Well, again, I've read, I've, John, I've read exactly the same as you, apart from the, I haven't read the Vernon and I didn't get to it. I read Two Like the Lightning and I've read All the Way with Children because they're on the Hugo ballots in previous years. I wonder if that will affect, um, the voting in this category. It might, it might well. I wonder whether Vernon will take it because, um, I mean, she's great. I mean, I've liked everything of hers I've read, so I wouldn't be surprised. Yup. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see Wayward Children take it because I think it's an excellent series of novellas. I did feel bad not not reading The Stross because that was in the packet and I did, I did, I fully intended to read it and I just ran out of time. It was, it would have been my next book because uh, I read series after Astounding and Lodestar. But Jade City by Fonda Lee uh, wasn't in the packet at all and the CL Polk series they'd put the third installment in and I kept thinking I should probably start at the beginning uh, and then I did not get around to it. I put for dramatic presentation long form Encanto in first. Uh, I love that movie uh, quite a bit. Again this is one of the categories I thought was weaker than most of the ballot. I didn't think it was a strong showing for dramatic presentation this year. I think there are quite a few movies that people told me about that did not make it on here that I, I think are probably better than some of the ones. Um, I put Dune first because I loved it, despite the fact that it's only half a movie and it doesn't really do anything and there's a load of things wrong with it. Still loved it. Looks good though, doesn't it? <laughs> really just for the um, orthocopters, or, or is that what they're called? Ornicopters, yeah, loved them. Ornithopters. I just can't say why I liked it. Encanto got my second vote because I also thought that was very, very good. And if it hadn't pulled its pudges in a shockingly Disney way at the very end, I would probably have um, put it first. Yeah, I vote the same as Alison with WandaVision in third. And I did not get round to watching the others. 
Um, best dramatic presentation, short form. Uh, there's an obvious first choice here, I think. Liz, what did you put in first choice? I mean, I thought there was a a, a first choice, but I'm not sure it's going to be the same as your first choice. <laughs> what did you What did you pick? I went with For All Mankind because I really like that episode. Oh, interesting. That's my second, mm. that's, and that is, I think, a strong second. I did love that episode. But no, I went for Wedge Dudge. I have no <laughs> idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly because it's Klingon. Thought you would, yeah. But Star Trek Lower Decks is still a highlight of my genre watching and it is fantastic. I had not watched any of Star Trek Lower Decks and they put this episode into the packet. Um, I didn't have needed to, to do that because I have Amazon Prime, but I noticed it was in the packet and I thought, oh, I'm supposed to be doing something else. I could definitely procrastinate and watch this instead of doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And um, and it had the Hugo Award written over it. So I went and got it off Amazon Prime instead. And I went, oh, this is great, but I don't understand it. So let me watch the very first episode of Star Trek Lower Decks and then this one. And I <laughs> laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. And it's not that it's not necessarily great science fiction. And some of the humour is a bit juvenile, but oh, I do like it a lot. Going to watch the whole of it now. Whenever I'm feeling miserable, I'm going to watch an episode of Star Trek Lower Decks till I catch up. So I gave it a vote, yes. But I am not competent to vote in this category because, as you know, guys, I don't watch enough television. I also put a, gave a vote to For All Mankind on the grounds that it must... It, everyone who's w- actually watched it says it's very good, so, you know. But lots of people don't have Apple TV, so it probably won't win. I didn't watch... I didn't watch... I also watched uh, For All Mankind, The Expanse on Loki, but I didn't watch the other two um, because... Uh, again if you haven't seen so like the episode of i mean i'm never going to watch wheel of time sorry wheel of time fans really not my cup of tea and uh i am arcane is on the big list of things i might watch at one one point because i have heard really good things but the episode that got nominated was ninth and so i would have had to watch uh four and a half to five hours of television uh to understand it i think and i was like i do not have uh five hours spare uh, unfortunately, especially because uh, very inconsiderately, all of the TV networks are releasing TV like it's not August, and uh, and therefore I'm getting further and further behind with all of my watching. Cannot actually watch dramatic presentation of short form as if it were short form because it isn't really. It's all like it's never a short film or anything self-contained. It's always episode nine in a ten-episode series. And so it's yet another thing that kind of demands a lot of attention. Though I do think Star Wars Lower Decks, you didn't need to do much homework in order to enjoy that episode. And it was very funny. So well done. And it's quite nice having humour. It's quite nice having something funny science fiction in the ballot. I like that. I'd like to see some more of that, please. I mean, in a way, Lower Decks is building on the fact that you have, you know, 50 years of accumulated Star Trek in the public consciousness that makes it very funny. It's quite funny even if you don't. It's got quite a lot of jokes that work if you don't know the reference and then work on a different level if you do. That's what this sort of humour should do and I like that. I think I'm going to compare, and this might be hugely uh, grandiose, I'm going to compare Lower Decks to Pixar. (laughs) Hold on, strap in. I think Lower Decks does a really good job of having lots of jokes in it that work on a variety of different people like you could have just seen ds9 and there will be jokes for you and you could have just seen voyager and there'll be jokes for you you could have not seen anything and there'll be jokes for you it's like a pixar movie doing jokes for the kids and jokes for the grown-ups like i think they're very good at 
because it's very easy to do jokes where you're like i can tell that was a joke and i don't get it and now i feel left out and i don't think lower decks does that and i think that's a very difficult thing that it does very well i mean obviously having seen lots of star trek i do get some of the jokes and they make me laugh very much there are also jokes about the fandom uh and ways in which they bring things about the fandom into star trek canon so they can make fun of them and that is also very good and it's just it's just very good i like it a great 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 deal quite a lot of jokes about science fiction culture generally and and series and and the whole structure of <laughs> not being the not being the stars and things like that. i love it it's so good when you get to the episode with the plates in it, you have to text us. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. That's the best episode. That should have, that should have well, been on the ballot. We'll tell you which episode of Lurdex to put on the ballot. Best commemorative plate. New Hugo <laughs> category. You heard it here first. Special, special award for Glasgow, Esther. Come on, you got to. <laughs> right. Shall we talk about the Lodestar? My top pick was Redemptor by Jordan Ifueku, which is a previous Octo pick. I think Liz picked it, maybe. I can't remember. I did pick it, and I also put it in first, but then I've only read two books in this category. Sorry. I really struggled in this category. I suspect I'm going to like a lot of the others, because I've liked previous books by Darcy Little Badger, and I've liked stuff by uh, Charlie Jane Anders, but I just did not get round to them, and I thought I should vote anyway. Yeah. Have you read any of these, Alison? I've read about half of Victories Greater Than Death. I would say one one honourable mention uh, for Chaos on Catnet uh and um the prequel or not the prequel it's a sequel um the original book in the series which was catfishing on catnet i think um which are both which are very good and i'm not sure they both talk about abuse in really interesting ways and i really liked that about them i mean and and i i very much liked a lot of the books in this category but um the naomi critzers are particularly ones i enjoyed as well astounding award me and Liz both put Micaiah Johnson in first. Have I guessed correctly, Liz? You have guessed correctly. Hey! And then I put Shelley Park-Chan, and then I put uh, Everina Maxwell. Everina Maxwell was my second. I really, really, really liked her book. Uh, I thought it was really good, and I enthusiastically recommended it to Nick uh, because it has pining. And I was like, you like pining, you will like this book. <laughs> and she was like, oh... It, it is, I mean, it is a lot of your AO3 tags made into a book, as you might expect. I liked it a lot. But again, generally speaking, I think, Lodestar, uh, sorry, Astounding was a very strong category this year. There was only one author where the books they've written, I was like, eh, not sure. Um, all the others wrote stuff I enjoyed. Moving swiftly onwards, what are we going to cover in our last 12 minutes? Worldcon schedules. All right. We've got some. Yeah, we do. I am on some panels. Uh, we're all on a panel called Hugo Award Finalist Rehearsal, uh, but you can't come to that, listeners. Apparently, there's no audience. Although that would be very funny. So, yes, we're all doing that. And then what else are you two doing? Liz, do you want to go first? Uh, I can do. I am doing a panel called dna is just a code which is about genetics hooray i like genetics uh i'm doing con running in the age of covid19 which should be interesting so i will talk about punctuation i will probably talk about you know easter cons and world cons and all the stuff that we have been talking about for two and a half years uh whenever you know whenever there's a lot in other topics of conversation um i'm running a 
in-person convention tour. So if you are new to ShyCon, you can come along on Friday and I will show you how conventions are organised in person. And I'm doing a panel called Everything I Know I Learned from Fandom. Because everything I know I learned from fandom. Okay. Cool. That sounds like a good mix of panels. A good mix of like fanish stuff and your professional expertise as well, uh, which I think is always nice. Yeah, I mean, I did massively fuck it up by uh, warning to future people. I set my number of items too low and didn't really think about the fact that I was thinking I don't want to prep too many panels because that'd be like I don't want to have too much pre prep to do without thinking that actually I'm I'm doing like a crochet circle where you just come along and like knit for the day and that requires no prep whatsoever. So I pushed it back up again and they put me on a science panel. <laughs> this word prep. Yeah. I'm going to think about things that I say on panels. Yeah, I know. Is this a foreign concept, Alison? I always prep for panels. Yes, I know, guys. You probably also prep for the podcast, don't you? Alison, what are you doing? I am on. On Thursday, I am doing fan funds from Walt Willis to today, along with Fia, the TAF delegate, and Joseph Clary of Fanac, who is also one of the guests of honour of the convention. I am on an air meet on a virtual panel on So This Is Your First Worldcon, um, where hopefully I will be able to sing the praises of virtual Worldcons, and I'm definitely going to have a ribbon for the people who turned up to that, so a virtual ribbon. Um, so I need to do some virtual ribbons for this convention, which I haven't started yet because, oh God. Right, I am on a panel called Build Your Podcast Community. I am on a panel and I believe I might be moderating a panel called Organising a Good Fan Lounge, where people, I guess, get to tell me how I haven't done that due to not having actually done all the organisation yet. It's only two weeks ago. So do come along to that. I am one of many people helping out with the Fan Funds auction on the Saturday. And on Monday, I've got a panel called Fan Clubs in the 21st Century and Beyond, which I do have to do some prep for, actually, because I'm not at all sure what I'm going to say on that one. Well, you're moderating it, aren't you? Um, I still need to do some prep. You do even more prep of them. Yeah, but moderating moderating is easier than being on, right? Because you have to know the questions more than you have to know the answers. But this is the panel that I can't really tell what much about it because it for- scrolls off the bottom of my screen on my iPad, so I can't actually <laughs> find out about it because there's a slight bug in Planorama which I need to tell them about at some point. But I will, at some point, I'll turn my iPad around and find out more about that. <laughs> Bug. Alison could not be bothered to turn the iPad around. So I feel like that's a good bunch. It didn't feel like too much. And apparently I'm having a lot of breakfast with people and going on boat trips and eating dinners and finding some bars and running the fan lounge. My schedule, I have living on space stations on Thursday, uh, where I'll be talking with my science hat on and basically being like, radiation. I will be on a panel called Building Fandom Events Myths versus Reality, where I'll be talking about perceptions of how fan events are built and run that don't match reality. So that'll be fun. I'm moderating a panel called Starting Your Own Podcast, and I'm glad I'm moderating that because hopefully I can make the questions more interesting than what microphone do you buy, which is often the pitfall with that kind of panel. And then I'm also on the Star Wars panel, Star Wars Control of the Universe, and that will be very good and will probably be quite busy. It's in a ballroom, uh, so that's fun. And I am not on any virtual panels. I am entirely in person. So yeah, come see us, listeners, or don't. 
one thing about the fanzine lounge that we do need to squeeze into our remaining five minutes, which is that the Worldcon APA will be happening. The WOOF, which stands for something like uh, the Worldcon Order of Fan Editors, but I don't quite understand how it works. But that, what that means is um, you can be part of a physical and virtual collation of small fanzines. Um, and all the details are in file 770. Chris Garcia is going to put it together. Um, noted friend of this podcast I think we can say and um, all the details are in a file size service link that we will put in the show notes but basically you bring your apazine to the Worldcon and it gets bound into a physical or virtual product for the contributors to take away and for other people to read online so very exciting and I will definitely definitely have a woof scene ready I'm gonna have a woof scene ready the wolf scene is going to be my trip report from Orlando. You heard it here first, listeners. <laughs> well done. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm kind of, you know, if nothing else, it's going to be impressions of my first three days in America. I'm just going to print out in the fanzine lounge. I'm sure that'll be fine. I haven't asked Alison. It'll be fine. You'll, you, we'll, we might be charging you, but not very much. We'll, like, we might be working out what the actual cost of paper and toner is and charging you that. Can I pay in winning smiles? I mean, that's what we pay you for editing the podcast. So. Uh... <laughs> yes, but you won't like it because I'll give you a schedule. <laughs> oh no. We meant need to do we need to mention electronic site selection? Uh no. Okay. Well, cuz there's not much to say, right? It just works. It's good. More of this please was fuss. If you were wondering why the discussions on electronic site selection had gone quiet, it's because they'd just done it and implemented it and it works and it's amazing and it's very quick and it works really well and it's still a secret ballot. And I feel like it's like they could have done this at any time, but they had to wait till it was funny. <laughs> well, it turns out that whenever we are told that something to do with Wuspers would be very difficult to do electronically and it's very hard... Uh, when they try it, it turns out it's actually super easy and there's no problem. Who knew? Hurrah. Right, picks. Was that the shortest chapter in Octthorpe history? Write in listeners. Um, just before we move on from Worldcon, we do know that Uganda is bidding Worldcon. It is very exciting. We will be talking about it after we get back from Tricon and we have met them and visited their fan table and all of those glorious things. But for now, hurrah. And more nuanced thought next time or the time after. Um, yeah, all right. Picks. Well, Alison already told us her picks. So you should tell you tell us why you liked it. Shall I tell you why? So I read the first line of Sarah Pinsker's "Where Oaken Hearts Do Gather," which I had plunged on because I thought it might be the sort of thing I would like and the first line says something like where oaken hearts do gather is um is an English traditional folk ballad um child 315 um round number 423 and I went the hell it is which I think is not necessarily what Sarah Pinsker intended but I it after that I was like oh this is amazing she tells the story in the form of um argumentative commenters in a in a discussion board that is a thinly veiled version of genius.com and my goodness she has worked hard she gets the form right the although the ballad is obviously made up she 
actually picks a lot of themes that do occur in traditional ballads and she wraps them together in a way that doesn't. She talks extremely knowledgeably about the way that pop groups take English ballads and work with them and border ballads and work with them and the way in which ballads move across the Atlantic and into different countries and vary. She, the people she has um, populating her message board are very realistic and the actual story that is told indirectly through this is amazing and I was so glad that I had this story there to put top of my ballot. I, I was just absolutely thrilled by every part of it and there is one line in the middle of it which actually caused me to fall about on the floor laughing which was quite difficult because I was, I was listening to music at the time at a festival and you're not supposed to like suddenly roll around on the floor laughing in the middle of a festival people think you're on drugs um, which I was but only a very good story it's fantastic and then I said that to a couple of people and they were like yeah I voted for it too Alison you should read your Hugo pit packet earlier next year <laughs> loved it it won the Nebula Award for Best Short Story. It, I think, was quite well received by the Nebula readership, and I think it might do very well in the Hugo readership as well. And I liked it very much. I thought it was very good. And I liked kind of seeing how it unfolded, and yeah, it was good. And there's an interview in the Hugo packet. There's an interview with her that starts by her going, I did a ton of research for this short story, and I'm like, and that shows, because... One of my pals said, I, I knew you might like this, but I wasn't sure if you would because I thought you might be going, oh, it gets these things really wrong. And it just worked really hard. It's a great story because I do know a lot about ballads. Liz, do you want to do your pick? Uh, I can go next. So my, my pick is basically I've spent all my time reading Hugo books, mucking about with the Hugo schedule and preparing for holiday. So my pick is the only film I've watched, which is vaguely science fictional, which is I watched Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And actually, it's quite good. It's quite fun. I mean, it's not like the top of the heap for Marvel movies, but it has a great soundtrack. It has great battle and fight scenes. And I really like how the kind of different witchcraft versus spellcraft and different styles of Doctor Strange versus Wong and so on are all in there. Uh, it introduces America Chavez, who is great and punches holes between universes. Uh, and that means we also might get Young Avengers at some point, and that would be good. And I mean, lastly, it's got a really good Danny Elfman soundtrack as well. Basically, if what you're always wanting in a Marvel movie is for there to be more zombies possessed by their parallel universe doppelgangers who take the souls of the dead and turn them into a cloak, then you should watch Doctor Strange uh, in the Multiverse of Madness. I liked it a lot. It is very much a Sam Raimi movie. Yeah, it's very Sam Raimi. It's weird because it's very tied into the MCU in some ways, but in other ways it feels very much like a movie by the person what done it. And I did very much appreciate that. Up to and including the inevitable Bruce Campbell cameo, uh, which was very good. But yeah, no, I, I also enjoyed it. I don't think, yeah, like you say, it's not the top of the pile for me, uh, but I did, I, did, I did think it was good. There's a good episode of The Incomparable that talks about it in some detail, uh, which I really found interesting. And I will put a link to that in the show notes, listeners. So I'm going to pick two things because I am some sort of a wanker. John. Mainly because I want to pick one which is like Alison's and one which is like Liz's. So the first one I'll pick, I'll go for the one like Liz's first. Yesterday, my wife and I went to go and see Nope. And Nope is very good. It is a Jordan Peele film. Jordan Peele is very good. 
basically everything he's done is great you should just go and watch it all nope is i really 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 enjoyed it i thought it was just it's very good very very tight everything that happens has something to do with everything else that happens which is what movies should be about and that is nice uh much in the same way that like there are not many dangling uh elements in get out or in us both of which are among the movies uh in the streaming era that i've actually bought rather than just being like oh they'll be on streaming because i'm like they're amazing it's not as good as get out get out is still i think his best film but where get out is a five out of five film i think nope is probably a four and a half um so yes very much enjoyed it one of my other pals said watch it really soon like straight away because otherwise people are going to spoil it for you so i am wondering about going to the cinema in my copious free time this week nice which i don't have but actually it's get it's very hot so if we went like in the middle of the day on a very hot day that might be quite nice yeah we went yesterday that's why i've seen a lot of random films yep well we went yesterday for two reasons which is firstly very hot and it was cooler in the middle of the day and secondly we're members of our local cinema and our local cinema has a summer cinema deal on anyway so between the deal and the discount we paid nine quid for two cinema tickets and that was good the other pick i have is like alison's pick except that it will be eligible for hugo at uh chengdu uh, and it is Family Cooking by Anna Maria Curtis, which is a short story uh, clocking in at 4,151 words. Brief digression. Do wish they'd put the word counts in the EPUBs of Uncanny instead of just on the website, because it does frustrate me that I have to cross-reference with the website to find out uh, whether it's a short story or novelette. But it was so good. I loved it. I really just, I like the themes it plays with. I like the kind of world building uh, and the magic in it. I just really, really, really liked it, listeners. It is 4,000 words, so it won't take you long to read. I highly recommend it to everyone, especially if you've ever disliked your grandparents. That was the Ultra Thought Podcast, and it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hey! Chris also says he remembers when KOTOR came out and thinking it was a really good game, but also realising that he loved Dark Forces far more as a game. And I'm about to say a controversial thing, which is, in general, I believe Star Wars games that do not involve Jedi are far superior to Star Wars games that do. Write in if you disagree. So you know the X-Wing game? Uh Uh-huh. Does that involve Jedi? Oh, I see what you mean. Like, Mm. does it still count if there is a Jedi piloting the X-Wing, but otherwise their Jedi-ness is not uh, commented on? Yeah. I think probably not. I I mean games without, like, Jedi powers and lightsabers. Because, like, Rogue Squadron I would count as a game without Jedi, despite the fact I'm pretty sure you play as Luke Skywalker, but, like, you don't actually use the Force in any meaningful sense. That, yeah, that is fair. I hear you talk about Star Wars games, and I keep thinking about Wing Commander which was technically not a Star Wars game because it didn't have the IP, but it was a Star Wars game totally. And also that arcade game where you had to, which was vector graphics and you had to fly around a load of laser towers. I feel very old now. I'll just get my stick. I'll be over here with my Coco and my Zimmer frame. Yeah, I've just Googled Wing Commander and my God. Oh, it was amazing. That is an old game. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And Star Wars arcade game. Oh, it was so fantastic.
Souls Arcade game was very good. Uh, I think uh, Rogue Squadron, Episode 1 Racer, Battlefront are all good examples of uh, Dark Forces, actually. And and Jedi Knight 2, before you get the lightsaber, is way better than Jedi Knight 2 after you get the lightsaber. Much better as a shooter than it is as a lightsaber simulator. I feel like if you want to play lightsaber games, you want a set of goggles, don't you? Because they're much better with goggles than they are without goggles. No, actually, slightly disagree there. Because most of lightsaber fighting is to do with uh, resistivity. And until they come up with a VR game that can like physically prevent you just passing your lightsaber through anything, uh, they're all just not very good. Um, uh, I think the best... Yeah, no, they do that. Well, there's no, there's no like mechanical thing in the gloves that stops you. Like if I'm holding a lightsaber and someone else has a lightsaber, I can't move my hands that way. In VR, I can. Um, so it doesn't work. Oh, yeah. But Fallen Order does a very, very good job of making you feel like a Jedi, mostly because it has a very good uh, um, manifestation of the powers, uh, a very good combat system, in my opinion. Are we using our precious 38 minutes to talk about... Um, Star Wars video games. Smart Plumber will write in. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep.